0: everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Barbara Paul Johnson is my co-host with the Moos and he is back this week after taking a mountain biking excursion last week and inadvertently missing the show, probably best for everyone involved. This is gonna be episode what is it one eight seven uh, and we we do have a fan of Tupac uh, featured in this film, so quite appropriate that it's last slash one eight seven for hunt for Hunt for the Wilder people. And uh, we're going to have our buddy, Pat McFarland of Liberty Weekly joining us. Now, Pat has been on the show uh, countless times, most recently for The Matrix Reloaded. uh, But we will have a full catalog of his previous appearances on our show notes page here. And uh, let's bring him on now. Uh, He's on main screen. And uh, Pat, welcome back to the show. Why don't you just remind people uh, where they can find your work? And I know you're working on a couple of other different projects. You got some cool stuff going on over there. Give us the rundown.
1: Hey, what's up, guys? I'm glad to be back. Uh, Always fun to do actual anarchy or the last nighters with you guys. Um, My name is Patrick McFarlane. I'm a practicing attorney. Uh, I do libertarian legal theory and other topics at libertyweekly.net. I also work and appear uh, at the Libertarian Institute, libertarianinstitute.org forward slash Patrick. And uh, I'm glad to say that my writing has appeared on antiwar.com. So check that out. Thanks, guys.
0: Yeah, there you go, getting the big boy pants on and doing all the big boy stuff. Uh, we are uh, we are very much in awe of what you've been able to accomplish. Uh, and and I do appreciate the amount of work and effort you put into your show. I, I highly recommend your show and the Libertarian Institute, as well as antiwar.com. And we'll have links to all of that stuff on our show notes page at lastnighters.com slash 187, of course. Uh, and now, without too much further ado, we can get into the old Google description and I'll pull that up now. Of course, we're going to be talking about, I'm not sure how to say his name, Taika Waititi. Uh, he is a New Zealand actor slash director who is uh, uh, pretty quirky and does some pretty interesting work. Of course, most recent film was uh, the Jojo film. Um, what was the name of that one? I, I, Jojo I, Rabbit. Jojo yeah. Rabbit. That's right. The one with, uh, with, <laughs> with TD actually playing a version of Hitler. Uh, which is kind of uh, kind of crazy. But anyway, let's get into this. Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People came out in uh, 2016. A 7.9 out of 10 on IMDb, 97% Rotten Tomatoes, 81% Metacritic, and 93% of Google users like it. The description reads, a boy, Julian Dennison, and his foster father, Sam Neill, become the subjects of a manhunt after they get stranded in the New Zealand wilderness. Release date, June 24, 2016. Directed by Taika Waititi. Uh, with a budget of $2.5 million. And Robert, let's go to you for your opening salvo and bonus question. What was the uh, reason you suggested this film? Isn't it blatantly obvious, Daniel? This movie has a libertarian streak in it, a mile wide. And much like Ricky Baker, the libertarian life... Was not chosen by me. It chose me. It's a movie about a rebellious kid who has fallen through the cracks of this government. mm, System of helping out kids. And he finds actual family that want to care for him. But then his aunt, who is hilarious, dies. Of, like, a heart attack or something. And then the government comes in and says, okay, now that there's not a woman around the house, now this it's not a, a home fit for a kid anymore. And now we have better places for this kid to live because we think so. And therefore we deem it so. And the kid's like, no, gracias. I have agency. I am declaring myself, you know, sovereign and I'm going to go off and live by myself and he bless him. He tries to do it. And it just so happens that his uncle sort of uncle is like this very knowledgeable Bushman and they go on the run and Uh, it's uh, a Bushman. Yes, that's right. And uh, it's this kid, you know, it's a a fish out of water story because it's this very much kind of urban youth kid thrown into this bush environment and he's also dealing with his kind of yokel redneck kind of family they're not really redneck yokels but they're more or you know rural people anyway that know how to like hunt and skin animals and this kind of things and so you get a little bit of that clash but you get the real clash between the government chasing him down and these people who are just like leave us alone and me, how could you watch this movie and not identify with people going, "No, no, no, I know better about my own life than you do, Mr. Government Overlord people. And it doesn't hurt that, you know, it's a comedy. It's actually a funny movie. Uh, the 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 child CPS people are incompetent. So that kind of makes it more funny for me. Uh, and uh, it's it's just a beautiful, funny, freedom-oriented spirit of a buddy movie. And it's also an adventure movie. And uh, it's also wacky and silly, like Taika Waititi. If you like Taika Waititi's humor, I think you're going to enjoy this a lot. This is one of the films that he made that really got the attention of Hollywood, where he came over and then he did the Thor and he did uh, What We Do in the Shadows and that kind of stuff. But before that, he was doing these fun New Zealand little quirky comedy movies and this is one of them and I think it's fantastic. Yeah I heard he was making uh commercials prior to this and that's where he found the Ricky Baker actor um Julian in doing one of his commercials. Nice. Yeah I think he did I don't think the the, the, the acting is like Oscar worthy or anything like that. I think it's more you know comedy level acting mm-hmm. but it's pretty good and uh you know ricky baker is a fun character that uh i certainly enjoyed enjoyed his adventures right yeah and and watiti's uh directing style and and cinematography that's employed you see this in jojo as well um it's got a lot of like quirky little things into it the transitions are really interesting i like the panning and then the characters coming in and out um doing like a, an elapsed time kind of thing, almost like the um, montage style, but a bit of a unique twist on it, uh, pun intended. Uh, and, and you see that kind of work um, in his films. And I think it, it is a bit of a signature stamp and it's very effective. And um, I haven't seen it in a lot of other things. So it's like, you can identify a TD film just from those little elements in it. And I, th- I think that's a nice thing because you know there's hundred plus years of filmmaking and uh, lots of things have been done before. So to find something that stands out and actually works really well is, is pretty cool. Uh, Pat, what's your take on the good description, Robert's take, and uh, what's your feeling on uh, uh directing style?
1: Well, I'll start with his directing style because I, I really love a lot of his works, and I, I didn't know that he did what, we did what we do in the shadows, and now that I hear that, it totally makes sense. But that's one of my, one of my favorite movies. I mean, the TV show on FX, I don't know if he's involved with that as well, but it's it's awesome. And, and the one thing that I appreciate that he does is he has these really wacky, like out of the box, kind of like ultra violent scenes that like we had a couple in this movie and it, it makes sense that they happen. But like what we do in the shadows, there's the part where like the vampire, he, he's, he tries to be neat and orderly, but he tries to suck the blood of one of his victims and was just shooting all over the place. So so things like that are really cool that he does.
0: Yeah, and What We Do in the Shadows is a movie that we had considered doing, and then Robert was like, no, 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 no. You Watch it first, and then tell me if you still want to do it. And I watched it, and I enjoyed it. But I was like, yeah, there. what, what would we even talk, talk about?
1: about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciated that, too. Um, but, you know, yeah, so the TV show is great if you haven't seen it. But, yeah, this is a very natural libertarian movie. Uh, one thing that I wanted to talk about, and we'll get into later, I'm sure, is this kind of, like, urban-rural split and – Now that, you know, I think you, you guys both kind of live in, in a rural area, but I recently moved from a a bigger place to a very kind of rural place and this whole idea of like where I live, there's also like this youth retreat camp where like really wealthy people in like the West and East coast will send their kids to kind of go kids have like drug problems. They send them out here to get, um, you know, get in touch with nature. Uh, so that was an interesting angle. I thought we could talk about later too. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, you got government incompetence. You have the spirit of like individ, independence and individuality. And you have like this, this, uh, rugged individualism too, uh, that I really appreciate.
0: Yeah. And, and on top of the, uh, incompetence, you also see the power trip,
1: the power that trip they go on
0: you. and, and yeah, just go straight to their head. And I know it's played to comedic effect, you know, and so it's like purposely over the top, but, uh, It's still fun to see that and and to see it being made fun of. And it rings true, though. I mean, even though even though those kind of general workers don't necessarily take their God complexes and to the ridiculous extent that where they say ridiculously funny things, but they do make decisions where what they think is in the best interest for these people, given the resources that they have instead of. I mean this is a question i wanted to ask you guys ricky baker is what 14 in the movie i think he gets the dog for his 13th birthday 13, okay. years, old. 13 years old and he pretty much declares that he knows what's best but the government comes in and says oh no, no no there's not a woman in the household anymore so therefore now it's now it's not okay for you to be here for some reason like right i don't know what I guess uh, the Sam Neill is incapable of caring for the kid or whatever. But Ricky Baker is like, no, no, no. I don't want to go back to the government housing system where kids get shuffled around and no one actually listens to us and listens to the problems that we have. And one girl was getting raped by her foster father and nobody listened to her until she died, probably under mysterious circumstances. So I don't want to do that. And uh, I, I like it better here. Listen to me. But since he's 13, nobody listens to him other than Sam Neill. Right. He doesn't just turn the kid in. He assists him in his f- flight. Well, I think that there's a, a period of time where Sam Neill's is like, hey, they're the ones with the guns and they're the ones with the say. And we're going to do what they are saying we need to do because I'm not in a position to raise you. I didn't choose to have you, it was the wife. And it's only after they're trapped out there when he twists his ankle and has to be out in the bush for camping with him for several weeks where that bond finally develops. But prior to that, he was going to just let him take him. Right. He was like, he's very much like, well, they can do whatever they want. They're the government. And Ricky Baker was like, no, they can't do this. And he's like, yes, they can. Yeah. Which I mean, sometimes, I mean, you got to pick your battles, unfortunately, you know? So like, even though oftentimes they'll do something that is immoral or, you know, technically legal, but per natural law would be illegal. They don't give a fuck, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, well, Daniel, let me ask you this question though. Do you think, I mean, obviously I'm on the side of Ricky Baker and Sam Neill in this movie. I mean, they're obviously the heroes and the, the CPS workers or whoever they are, especially the lady is the villain or for the most part. Mm -hmm. Uh, but she probably sees herself as the hero, right? Oh yeah, definitely. She sees herself as rescuing this kid. Obviously, uh, Sam Neill is made out to be, you know, like a sexual molester kind of person at some point, kind of comedically. Right. And I'm sure that they're aware of his, um, incarceration as well. Right. But even before that, she was intent on getting this kid and putting him in some sort of a government home. Um, is she way out of line here? I mean, he's a 13-year-old kid, and he's a he's, he has the ability to throw things and kick things and set things on fire. We know all these things are true. Um, he's a troubled kid. Uh, what's What should happen to him? His, his actual parents are dead, right? Uh, so, from what we are told, the mother gives him up because she was too young. Oh, that's right. That's right. So what do you think? What do you, what do you think? I mean, is she, how far off base is she given the, the, the situation she finds herself in, man, I, I really don't like these government monopolized services because they are things that you would need absent government and they would be better served and, and there'd be other options and, 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 you know, the market would provide. But in the scope of, you know, she's in the CPS division and she's trying to look at what's best for the child on paper. She probably is doing the right thing per her directive and per the information that she has. But, you know, Ricky has agency. Granted, he's he's immature. You know, he's a young kid, Um and then there is the God complex and the, there she's obviously seeing herself as a hero, but also um seeing herself as the hero, therefore justifying her escalation and getting like the SWAT team involved and like trying to act like a cop and, and all of those things. So it clearly went to her head. Oh, yeah. Um, this is a if this is not a comedy movie like Sam Neill gets shot to death in the end. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. And then and then and then he is vilified and she is lionized as this great hero. That right. Save Ricky Baker. Which of course, I mean, that goes into like, almost not necessarily incentives, but you, you know, that's how it would play out, right? Like everyone involved kind of knows that. So in a way it sort of like makes that more likely, you know, like how this is gonna be viewed from the outside is I'm the good guy and he's the bad guy. Yeah. Now, Pat, what do you think from your legal expertise? I mean, obviously, you're not an expert in uh, New Zealand law or whatever, but, you know, you can use your general principles of understanding. I mean, he's a 13 year old kid. The law doesn't give him any kind of standing in terms of agency. Right. There has to be some sort of. uh, Custodian.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think you would have to have a guardian. I haven't done a lot of, you know, like child welfare law or anything like that, but I'm I could almost guarantee you that she has governmental immunity in her position. But, I mean, to your point about or your question as to, well, is she really off base here? Uh, I, I think it, the answer really is, and, and Daniel, you kind of hinted on, on this, it's, it is incentives. I mean, her incentive is not to find the best home for him. Maybe that is on paper, but her real incentive is to make a problem go away. And making that problem go away is putting him in a home that's going to stick not necessarily putting him in a home where he's going to be fulfilled in like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs kind of way. You know what I mean? So that, that incentive, you know, our department receives funding, you know, the better we perform, the more problems we may go away. Therefore, you know, I can power trip if I strong arm this child and put him in a situation where, you know, make him do things that he doesn't want to do because it gets me off in some kind of a, you know, power seeking kind of way. So I I think that's kind of where it goes to. But again, she, if she puts him in a situation where he ends up getting raped, um, yeah, there was a famous case in Wisconsin about this. I think where um, uh, there there was a case where a child was in, in a foster, like a temporary home. uh, And there were many indications that the foster father was abusive. and the foster father ends up like terribly injuring the child and, uh, it was determined that there was governmental immunity for this, even though like the, the C, I don't think it's called CPS, but CPS had all these warning signs. Um, so absolutely. Yeah. That that's part of the problem that's wrong with the system is this immunity, but also those perverse incentives.
0: Yeah. It sure seems like they have like a qualified immunity, like the police have, like they can make a mistake. They can put a kid into a home where they're going to be assaulted or they should know, or they end up getting assaulted some way or another. They should bear some kind of responsibility for forcibly putting that kid in there, but yet they don't. What are we going to say, Daniel? Well, I'm, I'm sort of reminded, and this is not, you know, about adoptions or anything, but just anytime you have government sort of involved uh, in regulating and, and verifying the safety of something, um, on paper, yeah, it sounds like a good thing. It sounds like, well, if we didn't have these regulations and these, uh, you know, food uh, inspectors and um, building regulations and building inspectors, then we would have poisonous food and shoddy structures. Well, you know, recent events in Florida, uh, it turns out that there were many warning signs and every time it got brought up, it was brushed aside by government, by the very people who are supposed to be, um, implementing these regulations and, and, uh, ensuring the safety of these residents. Um, and we'll put, uh, Spike Cohen had a really good, um, articulation of the events over the over the years that kind of led to it. And it's like failure after failure after failure of the system intended to make it safe. And because it was monopolized, there was no competing uh, method of, of making ensuring its safety. Also, the residents there, because they are aware of these regulations and building inspectors and all of these things, well, of course, if it's not safe, we'd know about it. So the consumers, the residents are led to believe that something's being taken care of that is not being taken care of. And we see this all the time, all the time. You know, if you knew as a consumer that it's on you to verify the safety or the whatever of anything that you're about to consume or live in or drive or whatever, um, you would look to, you know, trusted third-party sources that were, you know, perhaps, uh, in a free market, a truly free market, you'd have you know Yelp and Tripadvisor and whatever, but equivalent, but multitudes of them, and so you would have a really good check and balance system, a true check and balance system, not one entity branching itself to ensure that it's doing what it's supposed to be doing and that it's allowed to do what it's doing, and then ruling that it's allowed to do what it's doing. You know the uh, the virtuous circle of um, government uh, checks and balances. So. It's a long-winded way of saying that whenever you have a monopolized system, you get poor service, you get high prices, you get shoddy workmanship or service, uh, and then you also end up leading people to believe that something is being taken care of when, in fact, it is not being taken care of. You could also apply this to uh, charity. Uh, and welfare, things like that. Uh, a lot of people will assume that their tax money is going towards the needy, and so, oh, that's already being taken care of. I don't need to donate more money, even though uh, in the in the United States, I think it's the highest per capita um, donation rate, um, even despite all these taxes and and social welfare programs that exist. Granted, uh, the flip side of that is there are also tax incentives. Uh, they'll steal a little bit less money from you if you've already given some of it to charity. So. Um, meandering way to sort of make uh, several points there. Um, (laughs) Did I answer any of your questions? Excellent, Daniel. Uh, There's a video on YouTube by the great Larkin Rose and it's called The Great Escalators and it's about cops. And one thing that struck me in this movie, and I know it's a comedy, like you could do the same thing about the Blues Brothers and the massive amount of cops that chase after the Blues Brothers. But one thing that struck me in this movie was the, the escalating chase of like these massive SWAT teams that are chasing after these guys in the woods. Oh, and, and just and like it, how much resources were, being how much resources it? are being thrown at it. And guys with, you know, assault you know, guns, like chasing after people in people that have ex- exhibited zero Threat, right? They're they're just running away from you. They're not exhibiting any danger threat to you. So it's 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 a typical government response where they're like, well, throw SWAT teams at them instead of like one person who's like a negotiator or or somebody you know like some kind of mediator person that would just want to talk. Now there is a scene where Ricky Baker is f- discovered by the CPS lady and her incompetent cop friend. And she discovers that Ricky Baker's like, I don't want to go with you. What are you talking about? And she's like, yes, yes, come with us. Come with us. And he's like, no, no, I don't want to. Oh, and, now, and throw your guy under the bus. Tell us that he did something bad to you, even if he didn't. Sure, sure, absolutely. Now, from if you're trying to steel man her argument and say that you know that she's really a heroic character, you could argue that... Ricky Baker is uh, abused and he is defending his abuser. Yeah. Stockholm. Because right. Very much Stockholm syndrome where he is defending his abuser because to admit that he's being abused causes more pain. So, but that's from her perspective. She is basically being playing armchair psychologist to Ricky Baker saying, describing that's what's happening in this situation. And she's only using her own biases to only pick out information that supports that theory, as opposed to listening to him objectively and him saying, no, 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 I really don't want to go with you. And then using that as going, well, maybe, maybe he really doesn't want to go with us. Maybe he's found something that's better than what we can provide. Uh, there's just this, when when you have this single monopolistic God figure that. Answers to nobody, right? In this movie, she really doesn't seem to answer to anybody. If anything, when she gets to, at the end of the movie, she's like a hero and she keeps her job, I'm sure. Maybe it's a promotion. There's a, nothing that she does seems to go badly for her. Every, all, that, all that expenditure of uh, resources has to get explained away as look how wonderful we are and if only, maybe if we had more money, we could have found him faster. So you, you taxpayers need to pony up a little bit more money next time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, it's just, it seems like, and I, it just, it struck me because there's all kinds of CPS people today. And I don't know exactly how CPS offices work. I don't know the ins and outs, but I'm sure there are people whose job it is to decide who goes where And decides what's best for people they've maybe spoken to maybe for a few hours tops. Like you meet with a kid, you read his file, you talk to him for a few minutes, maybe, maybe a few hours if you're lucky. And then you, with the power of God, decide where this kid's going to spend the next, you know, five, 10 years of his life. And it just strikes me as a very much right.
1: Like, this is the worst possible way we could do things.
0: I don't know. Maybe.
1: I don't know. Do uh, you, do you think that uh, foster parents should be paid like for bringing, for taking in a kid?
0: Cause they are now, right?
1: Yeah. Like, is that another perverse incentive that creates a situation where, you know, you're encouraging parents, you know, who could profit off of having foster kids
0: it seems to be a perverse incentive. I mean, I've heard it's, stories. Same, same with, same with, uh, kind of like the welfare mom queen, you know, having right. all kinds of
1: babies and getting paid a whole bunch of money. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me that if you're going to foster a kid, you should pay. Like, I mean, you should pay yourself for all the expenses that entails to ensure that, you know, your motives are pure or altruistic at least.
0: Right. As opposed to, well, well, we could make X amount of money if we take on another kid. So let's, let's take on a couple more kids. Right. Yeah. Now, it's, I don't want to disparage uh, all foster parents. And, and, and I would also say that, you know, there certainly is a need sometimes for kids to be not in a situation that they're in. Of course. Um, yeah. uh, Rachel Kennerly, she was on for instant family and she's been a foster uh, mom and went through an adoption process, I believe. And, Uh, During that discussion, and it's a little bit fuzzy, but I think that one of the points that was brought up was that it's really, really difficult to get approved for adoption. And so that's the other um, end of this sort of problem, right? You've got all these kids who are in bad situations or don't have parents or they're orphaned or whatever. Um, But on the flip side, you've got it to be a very difficult, long and expensive process to be able to adopt. And It seems as if those two things don't really uh, match up all that well. And so you sort of have a bottleneck that's going to cause a lot of these problems. Indeed. So why is it, is it easier to become some sort of a foster registered foster family than it is to become an adoptive family? I would imagine it is. It's more of like a temporary thing until they find a longer term home. I'm sure there is a vetting process, but you know, we've all seen the news stories over the years where, you know, There's been abuse in foster cares or whatever, but you could also argue that, you know, someone going through an adoption process unvetted or without some kind of like stake in it um, could be, you know, some fucked up person who just wants to get a kid to, you know, do bad shit to, I don't know. So it's almost like you, you, you want there to be some kind of like vetting system and vetting process. And most people's um, gut reaction is, well, the government, you know, figure it out. The worst institution. Let's, let's have those guys do it. <laughs> I remember back, you know, when we were on your basketball court solving the world's problems, it was all about, well, what, what could the government do to do, you know, to solve this or, or to solve that? Or how could they improve whatever system's in place to do it? You know, and that's a bureaucratic creep. Yep. Once you start having them do one thing, it's just a small little step to have them do another thing and then another and then another. And pretty much they got their finger in every single pie.
1: From from my understanding, the way that it works, at least like in Wisconsin, is that you, you apply to be a foster parent and you get you have to go through a certain amount of training. And after you go through that training, you're qualified to accept foster children that they rank on a scale of like neediness. So if you have a child who is like ultra violent and disturbed, they're like a category five and you have foster parents that are qualified through category, you know, one, two, three or four. Or something like, actually, five is to be institutionalized. <laughs> um, but that's the system that exists here that I understand.
0: Yeah, so they, they do, at least they're, like, try to categorize and, and better fit, you know, like, okay, they need this level of, you know, training to accommodate a kid that has this type of needs. I mean, at least they're making that effort. and Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, I guess-
1: the problem is, though, is that when they give a kid who's clearly a category four to a family that's only registered through category two. And the reason being is that we have no other family that can handle this kid.
0: So do they just then categorize the kid at two? Yeah. Make it work on paper.
1: I I had, I I'll just say that I've dealt with a call on a case like this before Hmm. where that was the situation.
0: Okay. All right. Well, if we could shift um, a little bit to the dynamic in the relationship it kind of stems from this because the Sam Neill character and um, Bella, the the wife, they're they're trying to adopt him or are they foster?
1: I thought they were foster.
0: Yeah, it seems I thought that they, they were just next of kin and then they were getting him because he had nobody else or whatever, and they had just been found. Oh, yeah, that's fuzzy to me. I, I don't know if they're related at all or if they were sort of foster and into adoption, it seemed like Bella was very much um, wanting to build rapport and relationship with Ricky. Like, oh, you can call me auntie, but I don't think that that meant that she truly was the aunt or that Mm. heck was the uncle.
1: Yeah, just like Mm. a term of endearment.
0: Right. And I also really enjoyed her sort of hands-off approach like letting oh, yeah. ricky kind of yeah. make his decisions like oh okay are you gonna run away all right just make sure that you uh you know get a big breakfast yeah um, can you run away after breakfast please <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: <that's, laughs> I, mean, I
0: don't i don't give my kids that much leash but uh <laughs> maybe i should you know
1: <laughs> that's what really made me think of this this like um this place where they they around here where they take kids troubled kids who are whose parents are like multi-millionaires and the parents have no time of day for them. So they're, like, these urban east-west coast kids, and they they pl- plunk them up, and they take them into, like, north-central Wisconsin, and they go out oh. to the middle of the woods with these, like, undergraduate psych students who um, are also from the east and west coast, and they're all, like, fresh out of undergrad, hippie, like, crunchy hippie types. And it's so funny that they're out here, because, like, if you know this area of Wisconsin I live in, it's, like bush light and pick them up trucks and, you know, in and, and farmland and stuff. So it's just so funny. And, and kids run away, you know, they, and then they, they come out with, they do, they come out with the helicopters with the infrared cameras. Oh, wow. And And they hunt them down. So that's the question I have for you guys. Like at what point, I mean, I guess like the, the
0: government couldn't, couldn't call off the search because they were, they're committed. Like this is, we're, we're, we're the heroes and we're out getting the kids and we're going to take them home. And it became too big of a story, right? But imagine that it hadn't been a big story and they, it's at what point do you just go, do you, do you, do you, is it just a waste of resources, right? I mean, the whole movie is one giant waste of resources because what happens at the end is they get taken in by the cops. They have a little hearing, and then they just get released. I mean, Sam Neill spends some time in some kind of a posh prison-type home thing. And then he gets released. And then Ricky Baker's like, well, I want to live with you. And he's like, oh, okay. I mean, they're just reunited at the end. So it's all is it all pretty much for nothing. There's no, like, big change. So it was all one big, giant waste of resources. I mean, should, should none of that ever been spent? Should some of it have been spent? Should all of it... What, 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 what say you, Daniel? I mean, obviously you're, you're not a statist as much as, I mean, you're more of a statist than I am, but you, (laughs) I don't think you, even you would uh, advocate for so much use of uh, resources in this endeavor, or or is there enough? Like as a libertarian, I mean, you pretend to be a libertarian sometimes, so you could understand that, you know, you're coming to the defense of another. if you believe that he's really being uh, aggressed against, right? And and that he's a hostage and you're going to, you're totally justified in expending all the resources that you care to expend to uh, rescue him. Right. Well, I mean, it's a tough question. It's based on who knows what and when, and from what perspective that they have on it. I mean, when, when she comes upon the burnt down building with the effigy, uh, the dummy inside, you know, it looks like foul play may have occurred and um, she's got, you know, paperwork on heck that said that he's killed a man before, has been in prison before his wife just died. And there's you know, some <laughs> thoughts that he might be unstable. And then the first report you get is from these hunters who report that the the kid's been molested because, you know, the funny scene where the kid doesn't realize what he's saying and the, the, the hunters hear it one way and the kid meaning it another way. Um. So, I mean, from that perspective, yeah, it looks like you're coming to the aid of somebody who needs help. Um, And it's really only after she encounters Ricky in the woods and does her pop psychology, she makes the determination then and there that Ricky might have Stockholm syndrome and, and doesn't want to turn in on his uh, uh, abuser, like you were saying. So I can, I can kind of go pretty far along with her thinking she's doing the right thing and expending the resources to save the kid. I mean, but of course it turns out we, the omniscient viewers know that the kid's in no danger and that it's all a misunderstanding and that, um, really the, 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 threat is posed by them trying to help. But what if, what if there wasn't that, even if there wasn't that, um, hunter scene in the hunting lodge where he's a molester or whatever, there was already a wanted poster on the wall of that place. Mm-hmm. Offering a reward and whatever for them being turned in, so they're already hunted before the whole molester charge came. Like this is a kid that has supposedly been delivered into the Sam Neill's care, and now you know isn't showing up for his what check-ins or whatever the house calls, make sure the kid's getting along good with the family and the family's. Well, they had sent that killer. letter saying that they were going to retrieve him. So right, they, right, right. in their mind, they're ending the. You know the stay there or whatever, right? So the, the Sam Neill and Ricky Baker broken contact, and they are justified in seeking out contact. Do you think that the the SWAT teams are necessary? I mean, these are people that they are armed. They are uh, obviously they need to be armed to be able to hunt to survive in the in the woods. Uh, you know it, what? Where where in your status brain does the lady take a step too far? Because in my mind, she is the villain in this movie. I understand in her brain, she's the hero. Mm -hmm. But she is, I think she is unjustly aggressing against these two people. And yes, you're right. As the omniscient viewer, we know all the information. She's only subject to part of it. But I think even if, even if she was able to watch the whole movie, she would still say, no, 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 this kid still needs to come in. We still need to bring this kid in and deliver him and put him through the system and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I'll grant you that. I I think that she would do that because that's her job. Right. And that's, you know, she's got to do it by the book or whatever her rules and regulations dictate. Um, Now, is there a point where she crosses the line from um, her? Well, from the omniscient viewers perspective Um, or or the other way around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From 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 your perspective, does she ever cross a line? I think when she tries to negotiate with him and get Ricky to turn on Heck and, and claim that he molested was molested by him, because it seemed as though she was she kind of knew that that wasn't accurate. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, it's fuzzy, but I think there was an exchange where where maybe she was aware that it wasn't true or was a misunderstanding, and she's still pushing him to do it mm-hmm. so that she could then come out with the accolades, right? Okay, so you're okay with the SWAT teams. I knew it. Okay, what about you, Pat? What do you think? Well, the SWAT teams were after the molestation accusation, right? Uh, they were still, I mean, the, the hunters were chasing them through the woods. She was chasing them through the woods. I think there were some other police-type people also chasing them in the woods. Okay. Yeah, it was at the fire, right? The fire of the shed or the garage, the barn where the the cop that's with her who doesn't even have a gun Right, she, says, she goes. We need to get the cops, and he's like, "I'm a cop," and they're like, "Yeah, you're right, I'm not a cop." Yeah, we, we yeah, need we like, need the ones with the guns. We, we need the real cops. You're okay, right. and that's before the molestation. Before Accusation. the molestation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So she so finds th- this barn burned down with this obviously fake kid in it, and she calls out the SWAT teams. Yeah, that's a bit far. Yeah, so I think I think there might be, um, you know, you can make up the bulletin of, "Hey, we're looking for this kid, and last known with this guy." You know, sort of like a. Have you seen them? We want to make sure everyone's okay. That kind of a thing. Um. So maybe a search party, and 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 some publicity. But beyond that, sure. yeah, a bit much. Yeah. What do you What did you think? What did you think about the the hunters in this movie? Obviously, they're just guys out hunting. Um. They're kind of played off as like, dopes, but they seem to be well meaning, right? They. I, I. I had a sympathetic feel for them.
1: They like, turned into bounty hunters.
0: They were the bounty hunters working for the state, trying they, to get money they, for the state. Were they yeah. bounty
1: hunters to begin with?
0: No, they were just hunters that they happened upon at that uh, hunting cabin. And they saw the, you know, the wanted poster or whatever. And yeah, they probably viewed themselves as a hero, but they also seemed like uh, jackasses to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. When we saw them on screen, like they weren't there to reason with anyone. Um,
1: right. And right. or so they weren't too
0: interested in the finding out the truth, right? Yeah. Right, because the, they saw the wanted poster. They knew all they needed to know.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Right. so They read the headline. Yeah. yeah. All, all too common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It so is going, true.
1: Going back though to Robert's question about when when the lady crosses the line, I think it was when she placed a foster child in a home with a convicted someone convicted of manslaughter. <laughs>
0: Oh, interesting, Patrick. So you don't
1: agree with them putting him into that home at all? I don't. I mean, you're going to put a child in a home with strangers, and I don't know if they had been vetted as foster parents, but he's convicted of manslaughter. He got into a bar fight where he killed someone, right? That's what happened, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, but, but when we're presented with Ricky Baker, he'd been with many fosters and has this litany of things that he does that are bad. Right. You know, so he's like worn out his welcome. Man, and I knew you this, were
1: a statist, Daniel. This is like yep.
0: last resort, though. Like this is her yeah, last, yeah. you know, the last no, house okay. she's willing to place him in.
1: Well, then, OK, the other thing that happens, though, the intervening factor is that the, the lady in the house dies and he's alone with the convicted manslaughterer.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's when they want to extract him.
1: Yes. But why didn't they do so immediately?
0: Well, Well, they sent a letter and their argument was that there's no longer a woman in the house. Not that now you're alone with a manslaughter,
1: (laughs) you know, and to be fair, I mean, manslaughter is not, you know, it's not as bad as like murder one, but. uh,
0: Well, what's this uh, sexism that uh, there's not a woman in the house, so this guy obviously can't take care of this kid now. What's up with that? Yeah, it's I guess they weren't walking up yet. It's not very Patrick.
1: progressive. It's not very progressive.
0: That's right, not very progressive. <laughs> yeah, That's is exactly there is there a is there a statute or a you know principle in law that something something kids need to be placed with uh, men and women or two parents or whatever?
1: It's an unspoken rule. Is the best interest of the child means that they go with mom, especially younger children so well, he yeah. should have been killed and put next to her yeah okay organs harvested nice and sold to uh race not want chinese them. diplomats or chinese oligarchs i like
0: it I, don't get us banned all right okay so i i can see um are you censoring
1: oh. me bro <laughs> <laughs> i can I see you he's
0: zucking you it's a I'm private z- company
1: i'm it's zucking a you bro podcast.
0: I can see the argument that they would make that that you know two parent home would have better outcomes because you'd have a provider and a caretaker, or people in position to be so. But he's retired, right? I mean, these are retired. They're both retired. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're oldsters. So they also Ooh. seem to be almost like um, homesteader, live off the land types. Yeah, they go out and catch dinner. You know. Yeah, which I got to tell you. It looked pretty appealing to me. Granted, it would be a hard life. But man, if you just had like 50,000 acres out your back door of bush country and you're like on the edge of it and
1: you're... the internet. That's
0: and how the internet. badass is she when she, they're out just like to see a pig and there's like, oh, let's go get some dinner. And then she just like whips out the knife and jumps on it.
1: See, that? Yeah. that's the director. That's what I was talking about with these. Like Jojo Rabbit was like that with the grenade scene at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. That's great. That was a good movie yes. too, Jojo Rabbit. Did you do that yet? No, we have, but we,
0: we've seen it though, right? I, I watched it, and I think yeah, yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. It's it's good. It's fun. Um, uh, there was another thing I wanted to, to bring up, um, just about uh, living where they lived, and and just how idyllic that is. Um, not only is it a hard life, but it seems like even out there, they're not left alone yeah and that's yeah. kind of sad yeah i know they're in new zealand which is what like a super totalitarian kind of a state um they recently I, had what the COVID lockdowns that they were not letting anybody almost do anything like and, nobody, and then their, their pm was on tv doing an announcement like any news you get needs to come from us otherwise it's not true And then they've also been very much anti-gun lockdowning with all the... They had that big uh, mass shooting a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, for me, living out here, uh, man, the only time I ever see any kind of government bureaucrat person, you see them maybe as, you know, you see a a sheriff driving by. That's about it. Every once, every couple weeks, maybe. And that's if you're driving into town. But, yeah, I maybe they maybe New Zealand's just more of a controlled place. But it, they they have massive massive rural areas. So, yeah, that is disheartening. It's too bad.
1: I think what we're going to see as a brief aside, I think what we're going to see is more like federalization of police forces. So, it's like I'd rather be oppressed by the local sheriff than be oppressed by like the capital police. You know what yeah.
0: I mean? <laughs> I mean, you can move to another county a lot easier than another country. Yeah. And I think your local sheriff's more likely to talk to you. Whereas some kind of fed person comes in, they really don't want to hear about what you were talking about.
1: If, if the local sheriffs like refuse to enforce unconstitutional laws, like, you know, second amendment regulations, stuff like that. Yeah, Yeah.
0: There's some good sheriffs around here that were saying some positive things about second amendment and the, the mask lockdowns and that kind of thing. That was nice to hear. Yeah. Hopefully they, they stick, stick to their guns, but I'm on that. <laughs> I got to say some corny shit every episode. So, um, any, uh, any other points anyone wants to bring up before we get into final summary and review? Cause I feel like there's more to talk about, but we are running low on time. Well, I just wanted to know, I mean, Taika Waititi is a very become very, very famous comedic type director guy. Um, and I think his, his style of humor is quite funny. I his if cameo guys, was great. I, yeah, his cameo was fantastic as the as the pastor guy. Uh, but just I wanted to know if you guys thought this was funny. Like, is this a? a there are, comedies are fewer and fewer and farther between since probably like 2010. I mean, since this whole woke crap kind of pretty much killed the comedies. Yeah, it's like, hard to be funny without being offensive to somebody. Right. Um. Like, like I want to say like the Hangover movies were the last like kind of you know edgy comedy yeah i can't remember a movie in the last decade that was like edgy comedy yeah it seemed to be like they're all trying to one-up each other and push the envelope further and further into like who could top who in gross out humor or offensiveness for a while there and then they disappeared mm-hmm.
1: i thought this was funny i laughed out loud a couple times i lolled.
0: me too daniel where were you at where you at buddy i found it funny though not, like, hilarious. Like, yeah. it was a safe funny. You know, you could tell that they were trying to be safe, other than when they were sort of ribbing at Christianity or whatever, because that's fair game.
1: Yeah, right. What about the uh conspiracy theorist guy?
0: Oh, I, I dug him, actually. He was actually a very sympathetic character. The
1: Ted Kaczynski was... guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Really.
0: Re- Psycho Sam, right? That's his name?
1: Yeah. Well, that's fair game to make fun of conspiracy theorists, too, right? Yeah. I was personally offended. <laughs> <laughs> a little too close to home. A little too close. To home.
0: <laughs> it's like, I got one of those suits. Damn it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that uh, the the tin, it wasn't a tinfoil hat. It was more like a spaghetti colander hat. That's me.
0: Uh, yeah, I knew it.
1: The um, yeah, they...
0: <laughs> there was the, uh, the dog situation, which. I, I understand why it's there. You want that emotional content there, but man, it was kind of hard to to see that happen, you know, with the the dog the boar. being killed by the pig. Yeah, with by the giant boar who yeah. was about to kill Sam Neil, and then uh, Ricky saved him
1: with a shot between the eyes.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Calm, cool, and collected.
1: We should probably talk about like the fact that. Sam Neill's character can abduct a child and lead police on like a two month long manhunt. And then he gets what a year of jail time. And then there's no, there's no like restraining order after the fact, like he's not on probation that forbids him to contact the child that he abducted. What's
0: yeah. Let's, let's talk about that, Pat. How, how, how much did that uh, throw off your reality sensors?
1: I, I don't know. I mean, I, so, the United States is known for having very heavy handed punishments. But in places like Scandinavia, I mean, you can murder someone and be in like basically a Huber program, uh, a Huber program where you live in like communal living and have like a nice house and you can like cook your own meals and stuff. So,
0: it's so like what we're all in uh, occasionally lately.
1: Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> be um, uh, human cattle on the human farm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that stuck out to me a little bit um, because one would think like if if he had a day in court and they were truly able to explain like, I didn't actually abduct him, there was no molestation, um, why would he have gone to prison or, you know, even for the year? Um,
1: It's possible the jury could have been sympathetic. Some jury nullification going on there. uh, Maybe. Maybe the judge, you know, they they do what's called a PSI here pre-sentence investigation so the, the jury will convict guilty or not guilty and then the judge decides the sentencing and there's a huge like PSI that's done with like psyche evals and in and, and, like the sentencing guidelines and then the judge maybe all things considered was like eh, this is not a bad guy
0: well it sounds to me Pat like you're trying to give make uh, Sam Neil have some sort of an obligation and I'm not necessarily unsympathetic to this argument yeah having some sort of obligation to be the adult in the room and to say, no, Ricky Baker, we are going in. We are going to stop these, this harassment, you know, obviously these cops, we're not going to have them waste all this time and resources to chase after us. We're going to be like, we're going to present ourselves, turn ourselves in, be like,
1: explain,
0: explain what's going on and do what you will. And then it's going to all be over. Obviously then you're not going to have a movie, but It sounds to me like you're saying that he's got some sort of an obligation to be the adult in the room. Is that where you're
1: at? I I mean, okay, at least in the eyes of like the court, I would think their argument would be like, okay, well, your ward ran away in the middle of the night. You chased after him. And in finding him, you broke your ankle and you were stranded in the wilderness. And then, you know, you would have an obligation in the eyes of the court to be like, Take him back right away as soon as you're able to, or at least flag someone down or something like that. In order okay. to you know do no criminal wrongdoing and abscond with the child. Oh, so you
0: yeah you actually put him as being an immoral actor at that point.
1: I don't know if I do. I think the court would. Okay, but but then you know what kind of agency does a child really have? I mean, I think they should have some agency, but at the same time, like I don't think that a I kind of take the view that, you know, a child's guardian is a trustee of that child's rights. So, uh, you know, a trustee could do several different things that would be determined to be like a reasonably prudent thing to do. So it's kind of a subjective test. You know, a reasonably prudent guardian could be like, well, you know, the best interest of this child is not to go back into foster care. Or a reasonably prudent guardian could be like, well, I got to take the kid back to go back to foster care. I don't know. Yeah,
0: that's a tough call. Uh, Where are you at on this one, Daniel? Do you think Sam Neill has some sort of obligation to turn Ricky in at some point before it gets out of hand, before anybody gets hurt? Well, they find themselves sort of almost in a catch-22 situation due to misunderstandings, right? So they almost are forced to go on the run because even if they were to turn themselves in, it was already like alleged... That something bad was had occurred, and they wouldn't be believed. And then, then you had that ratcheting up of the molestation allegation being added on top of that. Um, I've, I'm a little bit fuzzy on exactly when uh, Hex character decides. Okay, well, we might as well just keep running at this point. You know, there's a whole bunch of bush here because we can't go back because they are not going to understand how we've come to this situation. Like no one's going to believe it okay so you're not putting him as an immoral actor at any point in this movie then no i felt like he he had to make a conscious decision but that his hands were tied okay okay uh i you know here i may be the naive one of the three of us or just the uh, utopian one i don't know whatever the word is the only real anarchist they're the only true anarchists. You guys a bunch of status assholes. But I I attributed much more agency to Ricky Baker, even though he was a, didn't know a damn thing about a damn thing. Like he was incapable of taking care of himself. But he had the sense to listen to his uncle. And he had the sense to stick by his uncle and to learn from his uncle. And the Ricky Baker at the end of the movie is a much more capable human being than at the beginning of the movie. Good character growth, good arc, excellent. Uh, so I I still, even at the beginning of the movie, I, I wanted to attribute a whole lot more agency to him, even at 13, than, I mean, obviously when he's, he's running away at the beginning of the movie, I wouldn't advise that as, a, as an adult. I would be like, no, that's not a good idea. But when you have this experienced Bushman And by your side, teaching you how to live, I'm like, isn't this, this might be the best situation for this kid? He's actually found somebody that is willing to spend real good bonding, you know, father son time. Yeah. Even though they're not father son. It's a microcosm of that program near Pat. Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) It's just, it's just not state sanctioned. Mm -hmm. But, but Pat's a statist, and so are you. So I understand. (laughs) All right. Well, Robert, why don't you get into the final summer review? Uh, cause it sounded like you were, you, you could have teed one off there. I could have. Okay. So man, hunt for the wilder people. I, I remember watching this movie, not right when it came out, but I want to say maybe a year later or something like that. And it, having a real positive experience watching it. And then when Dan asked me if I wanted to do a movie, it, that's the movie that sprang to mind. And I'm glad I did cause it was fun to watch it again a second time. And it was still as funny because I had forgotten a lot of the jokes. Uh, <laughs> are you hungry? Of course you are. Look at you. I mean, that's funny shit. Um, but I loved all the different themes that came from it. Uh, it Obviously, anytime you have a man versus state movie, you're going to tickle my libertarian feels, and I am going to be rooting for the, the protagonists, the, the underdogs, even though they knew They realistically, deep down the entire movie, they knew it was only going to end one way. And in fact, they're incredibly lucky that they were in a comedy. Otherwise, you know, at least one of them is going to be ending up dead. Uh, Because when man goes up against the state, almost every single time, man loses. Because the individual is the ultimate underdog. Which is why I'm a huge champion and fan of the individual and rooting for... I love underdogs. Everybody loves an underdog story. And this is a big time underdog story. It's also uh, a buddy movie. It's an odd couple movie. It's uh, a fish out of water story. And it's a funny comedy. And coming of age. There you go. That too. It's a, it's a, a kid growing into an adult. I mean, he's obviously it only takes place over a few months or whatever, but he, he learns a lot and grows a lot in that time and uh even though he was still he's still ricky baker at the end but i also enjoyed that um there's an undercurrent in the culture of people rooting for ricky baker and the sam neill character of you know that became becoming famous and rooting on their kind of outlaw run like Mm -hmm. the the lady the girl with the horse and the father who was just like super stoked to get pictures with them and get a selfie loving (laughs) getting a selfie and and loving having hosting him and like these are stories that they're going to tell their friends and their family for years like ricky baker slept on my couch you know they're super stoked to to be rooting for the person that is fighting against the state even though they're not necessarily fighting against the state they're just running away and trying to live their own lives but the state in this movie takes the place of and I hate to say this, but they're like the kind of the overwatchers. They're like the parents in the room. They're making sure that everybody's okay and doing things properly or whatever. And I think that they do a terrible job. And I think that, uh, you know, we've gone over this a million times, but uh, they just, they just muck things up so badly. uh, Anytime that they act like they're the parents in the room, the adults in the room, when they're dealing with adults anyway. Uh, I can, I can understand from the perspective of Pat and Daniel, why you, you would need or desire some kind of societal oversight so that, cause, cause this, this could be another story entirely, right? This could be a story where a kid is abducted by a molester guy and takes him off, drags him off into the woods and does horrible things to him. And this is a horror movie or some other thing. Right. There's any number of interpretations or movies that could be done off this concept. So I understand uh it from that perspective it's not just a pure libertarian fantasy man versus state type thing but anyway it's it's a it's a lot of fun it's a it's um it's i it's just it, it's just this perfect melding of things for me even though I generally don't like comedies it's a comedy with strong libertarian themes in it so I I enjoyed talking about it. I'm going to give this movie uh, an eight point two out of ten. Eight eight 8.2. 8. What was that bird they were trying to catch? Or maybe you know, it would go wild boars. Maybe eight eight point two wild boars out of ten. Sure. Or selfies. Do selfies? Because he 8. did take a selfies. lot of selfies.
1: That's true. That is true. 8.2 haikus out of 10.
0: Oh uh, yeah. The haikus. Yeah. Yeah. I should have nice prepared. Uh, uh, co-host I... long lost. Robert has returned to do an episode with us again. There you go.
1: Haiku. Wow, wow. Oh, wow. That was, that was good on the fly.
0: Fucking deep, bro. All right, let's get yours. How many wild boars from you and final summary and review, Pat?
1: Okay. I think, um, I'll start with the final summary and review. Uh, Lots of really good films coming out of New Zealand. I, I particularly enjoy them. The the auntie was in another New Zealand film that I really enjoyed called Housebound, which was a very fun and tasteful like horror comedy film. Uh, so go check that one out if you haven't checked that one out. Uh, also, like uh, Peter Jackson, Dead Alive is a cult classic horror film that I, I love. Um, but this was this was a really good one. I really did enjoy this. Um all the other films that he's done, especially um, what we do in the shadows, I've really enjoyed, but not not all of them have had kind of the libertarian themes to it that of this one. I enjoyed like I was going to call it a whimsical coming of age tale, uh, but it, it you know what's that movie with the the two? Uh, it's kind of like a feminist film with the two women. Ellen Louise. Yeah, yeah, it kind of reminded me of that one a little. The bit. ending, the ending is very much the same. Yeah, and I, I was I was waiting for that, you know. Well, of jump course, off the
0: cliff, yeah. It, it was a
1: comedy, so I, I knew it wasn't gonna end that way. But uh yeah, would definitely would watch this one again. I'd give it an eight. I'd give it an eight haikus out of ten.
0: All right, eight haikus, eight point two wild boars. Uh I gotta come up with something else. Um, rare birds, but I don't remember the name of the bird. They're supposed to be extinct. But in general, I found that this movie was uh very well done, very quirky. I really enjoy the directing style and the cameo by Watiti. Uh, it does have a lot of good libertarian themes as Robert pointed out. Um, I didn't really see them as much until you started discussing them. So I actually learned something tonight, which is a good thing. Uh, overall, it's pretty fun and it does give a lot to, uh, to consider and think about. Um, it, it it also makes me want to like live more in the wilderness and kind of live off the land in the bush and and be hunting wild boars and, uh, you know, just pouncing on them with a knife and (laughs) having, having dinner. It sounds kind of awesome. But uh, overall, it's it's a it's a well done film. It's quirky and fun, and uh, cinematography is pretty interesting. It's a beautiful landscape. Um, I also like that Ricky Baker. He he developed that connection with um, what's her name, Bella, uh, to the point to where when he decided to leave, he took her with him. he he took her remains with him to go and find where the land or the the lake meets the sky or whatever where she said that she's from and where she would return when she dies again. Um, So there was kind of that nice element to it, like that bond had um, developed and flourished. And and he had found a home and uh, wanted to be in that situation. So overall, it's uh, a good recommendation. So I will give you some kudos. It sort of makes up for you missing last week's uh, episode on Half-Baked, which uh, uh, actually now that we have you and and you did watch that movie, and I'm sure you prepared slightly for it. um, Do you have an elevator pitch? What was your uh, what was your elevator pitch on Half Picked? Like recommending that movie? Yeah. Like like what's the gist of your take that we missed last week? Uh, OK, so Dave Chappelle is pretty funny. I, I enjoyed when he was playing the rapper guy. Um, uh, you know, it's a, it, it was a better movie than I expected. It, like it actually had a plot that kind of made sense. Um, but I mean, it was a stoner movie that was of its time. I I don't, I, I was almost relieved that I, I I didn't intentionally miss the show, but (laughs) I was almost relieved that I didn't have to talk about it because I, I didn't have a whole lot to say about it. I don't know to even know what you guys ended up talking about or how you, well, how you uh, reviewed it but i was i'd probably say it was something like a a five it just it in order it has to be funny if it's gonna if it's gonna hang its hat on being funny you have to make me laugh and it didn't and pat is massaging his, his majestic uh man beard there i could do the same thing sir I yeah, we got three three beers nice going on. I like it.
1: <laughs> I um, I'm just playing with my camera.
0: I like it. But what yeah. what did you end up giving it, Daniel? Like seven
1: joints out of ten or something?
0: Oh, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm,
1: I don't know if I've seen that one.
0: It's funny, and and if you're in for mm. kind of a you know stoner comedy with some Chappelle, there's there's a lot of like Chappellisms in that that he, he recycled into his show a little bit.
1: Is it better or worse than Up in Smoke? I haven't seen that. Oh, Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke. Oh, uh,
0: I would say better, but only because I didn't grow up during you know Up in Smoke. That was old hat by the time I was around. What um,
1: about Dazed and Confused? Is it better than that?
0: We did do that movie, didn't we? We did that movie. That's less of a stoner movie.
1: Better than uh, Pineapple Express.
0: I mean, there's such different movies. Well, actually, Pineapple Express is kind of similar. Like, they, yeah. they have a business of selling weed, and that's the same thing in Half-Baked. Except Half-Baked is more straight comedy. And Pineapple Express actually kind of has some... I mean, even though there's plot elements. But the plot elements aren't taken very seriously in Half-Baked. Like, everything is played up for comedic value. Like, they, they need to get the, their friend out of prison because he's going to get raped by... What's his name, dude? But it's played off as a joke that he's gonna get raped by what's his name, dude? Yeah. Like there's a whole dropping the soap scene and It's played up for comedic value. You know, I mean, out of context, it sounds kind of offensive, but whatever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, but yeah, yeah, if Tommy, you can watch it, you should. You'd like it. Tommy Chong was in it, so
0: yeah, he was the squirrel master.
1: Is that right? Nice. Yeah. He nice. he
0: he was the one who protected Harlan Williams' character in prison, but then he protected Harlan's butthole. Yeah, but then but then he got he got released, and so then Harlan was going to be on his own. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, thanks for your take, Robert. I, I appreciate you. You're welcome. I did. Yeah, I don't want to let a viewing go to waste, so I'm glad you off, you asked for my opinion on half baked. All right. Well, I'm going to ask. It, her, all it did. You? All it did was. All it did was re- reaffirm my opinions of straight comedies. Sorry. (laughs) They're just not, not good fodder. Okay. We're going to change it up a little bit for next week. I'm going to want your opinion again. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I may not heed it or listen to it all that much, Mm -hmm. but I will record it and present Uh it as content for our listeners. And that is going to be point break. The Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze version Ah, from the early nineties with, uh, with everybody, Johnny Profita of the Peddling Fiction pod- Podcast. He was on for Desperado for Cinco de Mayo, and we're going to do this uh, surf movie.
1: Is FBI he still in Mexico? Movie.
0: He is, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's oh, loving okay. it down there. And is he still uh, seeing uh, hanging out with more uh, nude babes? We'll have to ask him. That, that'll that be some okay. uh, pre-show bonus content. We'll, we'll ask him all about that, maybe in the KTO as well, which we're going to do a little bit of Kathleen Trenover Drive after this. Available for a Patreon supporters, go to lastnighters.com slash Patreon. Uh, for that, and we're also going to be posting a couple of things about where you can save some money. Uh, there's like this Rakuten uh, shopping app that I shared with Pat a, a little while ago. Uh, he spent some money on it, saved thirty dollars and a couple of percent on whatever he bought, and then we got thirty dollars uh, in exchange um, out of there, uh, out of this service uh, for promoting them. So that's kind of cool. So we'll put that link out there, and we'll even put Pat's link out there. And we'll we'll have dueling links on the show notes page, so you can pick Pat's link or our link. And either way, um, you'll save money, and one of us will get rewarded. Whose Kung Fu will be faster and stronger? We'll find out.
1: LibertyWeekly.net forward slash cashback. That's Well, since you
0: guys are all just plugging ads and crap, um, (laughs) I did see your boy, uh, Pat Flynn. I saw a video of his on the tubes yesterday where he was peddling that app that um, you edit by Word document. Oh you yeah, yeah. Audio and video. It looked mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Like if, if it works really well, that is incredible for people that make YouTube videos or podcasts and you want to edit things out. There's even a, there's even a, uh, I mean, you pay for it, but there's an extra app that can remove the ums and the ahs and that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's, 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 that's amazing technology. We could definitely use that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's a little pricey, a little pricey, but. It uh, is, it was like 12 bucks a month or $24 a month for their premium edition. But if you are in the business, like if you're a, like a YouTuber that actually makes money and you make those kind of, you know, that kind of content where you want to like edit your videos really easily and change out the, you know, jump cut things around. That just looked like a, a game changer to me. Yeah, it's if, that, awesome if that working. was my world, I would totally do that. It, but it, I was tempted to buy it even though I don't do that stuff. It's, it looks so cool. Okay. Well, maybe we can work out a deal where, um, I mean, I, I could probably use it as well. And I think that there's a way to get uh, multiple license seats. And the more seats you get, the cheaper it is. Uh, so maybe we could get a little uh, consortium going.
1: I could use that.
0: If anybody actually does it. Yeah, that would be cool. Because I I'm tempted to get it just to play around with it. It looks so badass. If it actually works as advertised. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can look into it and uh, we'll also try to get an affiliate link for it. Put it on the show notes page at lastnators.com slash 187. What is it called? Descript? Descript. De-script. Yep. Descript. These nuts. Descript. And D is... D end of D show. Uh, so we'll see you guys all next week uh, for Point Break with Johnny Profita of the Pedaling Fiction Podcast. You can find... Show notes more for this at lastnighters.com slash 187. You can find Pat's work at thelibertarianinstitute.org and also at libertyweekly.net. Anything else you want to plug at the, the very end here, Pat, before we get into the bonus content for people who pay us money?
1: Well, if you want to pay me money, go to libertyweekly.net forward slash support. Thanks, guys.
0: All right. Fair enough. And with that, we'll say goodnight from last night, everyone. Peace out.